Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. I'm David Chen, and it's been a while since the last episode, huh? It's been a few weeks since the last episode of Culturally Relevant, uh, and I wanted to explain what's going on with the show, uh, what's happening. Uh, so there's a few big reasons why there hasn't been a new episode of Culturally Relevant recently, and I want to go through all of them. Uh, the first one is that uh, I booked several guests for the June-July time period, and several guests canceled on me in a row. It happens, you know? Man plans, God laughs. Uh, the corollary to that is... Uh, you make podcast plans and the podcasting gods laugh. I've had guests cancel on me in the past. It's not a big deal, but uh, June, July was the first time like it happened several times in a row and other stuff was going on in my life that I'm about to get into. So it really set me back from a scheduling perspective. But the second big reason is that there's just been a bunch of life stuff going on. You know, my dad had a stroke a few months back and I've been trying to support him and my family through that process. My brother moved his whole family to Seattle and I spent a lot of time doing what I could to make that move as smooth as possible for them. So just a bunch of stuff like that that required my attention and since culturally relevant is my passion project uh, it's been a little bit idle with all this life stuff going on but the third big reason why there hasn't been new episodes is because if you're a longtime listener you know i used to host some relatively popular tv recap podcasts decoding westworld which is about westworld and is now decoding tv and a cast of kings which is about game of thrones those podcasts both covered shows that premiered this summer and there was a big open question as to whether or not the podcast would continue especially given my collaborator joanna robinson is now hosting podcasts over at the ringer well, a few months back, Joanna graciously allowed me to take over the two podcasts that we've been working on together. I went from not sure if I'd be continuing those shows to now being in a position where continuing them was possible, to needing to find new co-hosts, to then relaunching those shows with new co-hosts, and all that just took a ton of time and effort and energy. But I now have new co-hosts for those podcasts, Sedanta Laka and Kim Renfro, um, with some new collaborators waiting in the wings. And I'm having such a great time doing those shows, and I have plans to make them into long-running podcasts. And so that's actually an announcement I want to make today, which is that uh, I am launching a new website, decodingtv.com, which I want to be a community for people who are into TV recaps, analysis, and thoughtful discussion. The Decoding TV podcast and the Cast of Kings podcast will always remain free, and you can download them on their public-facing feeds. But if you want a premium experience, which includes ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, bonus segments recorded specifically for DecodingTV.com, as well as the ability to comment and join the community, you got to go to decodingtv.com and pay to be a subscriber to that website. I hope if you've enjoyed my work here at Culturally Relevant or on those other podcasts that you will consider joining decodingtv.com. Decodingtv.com will also be the place for all of my future TV discussions. So if I launch a new TV podcast or uh, launch a new paid podcast about a TV show, it's going to be at decodingtv.com. So it's basically this one place to house all of my work, which I've never really had before uh, for my TV-related stuff. I hope you'll consider joining decodingtv.com and help me build this next phase of my online life as well as this community that I think it's going to be pretty fun to be a part of. So... All of this is to say, things have been pretty busy, but I haven't forgot about Culturally Relevant, and I am working on ways to make this show more sustainable moving forward. I have a bunch of ideas for how to do it. So my request for you, please keep things tuned into this feed. Keep checking it, because we'll be back soon with a lot more interesting stuff. In the meantime, I do have a nice bonus for you today. 
On my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, I do these things called office hours and I run it via Twitter spaces. What that means is I, I launch a Twitter space, which is kind of this audio room and people can tune in and ask questions and you know ask to, be, to join the stage and, and uh, talk to me. And uh, I give my patrons at patreon.com slash Dave Chen speaking priority. So if you're a patron like, and you request to speak, I will add you first. Uh, and I did a Twitter space last week and talked about a bunch of interesting topics like Taiwanese movies and uh, my biggest embarrassment on Twitter and what I think good Twitter etiquette is and stuff like that. And I think it's a fun conversation. And so I am attaching it to the end of this episode for you to enjoy. Hopefully it'll tide you over a little bit until the next episode of Culturally Relevant. A couple of notes on this. Uh, this Twitter space has actually been edited a little bit. Uh, it doesn't include the whole thing. I I've tightened it up a little bit. Um, so not all the questions that were in the space are here, um, but you can access the full space on my Twitter account. Um, and also, just so you know, the sound quality is not quite as good as a normal podcast episode because Twitter spaces are done using uh, my phone. Uh, but I think it's still very listenable, very audible. So I hope you will still enjoy it. Thank you so much for keeping it tuned into Culturally Relevant. Uh, thank you so much for your patience. I'm sorry it's been so long since the last episode. There is more to come. Uh, and in the meantime, check out all my work at decodingtv.com. Uh, it's very exciting, all the stuff that's going on there. And I think if you've enjoyed my stuff in the past, you will enjoy my work at decodingtv.com. All right, here is my office hours on Twitter Spaces. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another David Chen office hours. Uh, I am open to whatever questions you have, whatever topics you want to discuss. Hit me. Let's uh, let's chat about it. Uh, let's add Alex. Hi, Alex. You want to let people know uh, where you're from and what you do for a living? Uh, yeah, I live in Southern California. Uh, by day, I do real estate appraisal, and by the evening, I do board game marketing. Jack of all trades. Uh, so what is on your mind? Welcome to the space. What do you want to talk about? What's your question? Uh, yeah, uh, please forgive me if I'm incorrect, but I believe you're a second generation American. Your parents are immigrants. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, do you find yourself um, exploring uh, movies, television or art from the, the country of your parents, maybe in an effort to understand your parents or where you come from? And are there any takeaways or recommendations you might have from, from that country? Uh, not as much as I would like, unfortunately. So my parents came from Taiwan and uh, I, I haven't, I'm not really, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, my, my wife and I are very different, right? Like my wife thinks there's like a lot of value in understanding like someone's past and like looking at the past, like understanding someone completely. And, uh, I'm more of like a forward looking person. Like I don't like to think about the past, you know what I mean? Uh, in general, like w when I think about like my life, I think about like what's next as opposed to what has, as opposed to reflecting what's come before. So that's a very lengthy way of saying not enough, unfortunately, um, to answer your question. There are some Taiwanese movies that I would like to visit, uh, check out and, um, that I think are sort of really valuable. Um, and and movies by Taiwanese filmmakers like Yi Yi is still on my list of movies to check out. Um, but yeah. in general, uh, like and, and movies by Edward Yang, I, I, I want to check out. But like in general, it's not something I really invest a lot of time. Is is it is it something? Are you an immigrant? Is it something that you uh, take pride in doing? Um, my parents are both immigrants. My father's from India. My mother's from Guatemala. So I tried seeking out Indian movies. They they weren't a lot of them were not exactly my cup of tea um, but I do find myself coming back to them or if I see some film from Guatemala or India I, I I kind of 
you know, it catches me in a way that I try to understand as a glimpse into my parents' uh, past lives, I guess. Um, I guess you'll never truly understand your parents, but they came from some such disparate worlds from me that I, I feel like that's a way that maybe I can connect with them. And um, just a side note, Yee is probably my favorite movie, so still uh, hopefully implore that you seek it out. I, I have the Criterion Blu-ray, Alex. It's, a, it's, a, it's on my pile of shame, but maybe after this conversation, I will check it out. Yeah, I definitely um, recommend it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that one of the things that's kind of informed my relationship with my parents is like, they haven't, um, and you, you tell me if you've had the same experience, but they haven't really felt to me like they want, they've wanted their past to be known. Do you know? Like, do you have that experience? Like, yeah, for, totally. for me, you know, if, if I had children, I would want to tell them about like all this, like, yeah. you know, children one day, like before you were born, there was this thing called dial up modems. And like, you know, we had to log on to this thing called prodigy to use the internet and AOL, <laughs> you know, like I want to, I'd want to tell them everything about how I grew up. My parents like don't want that, you know, like they, they, they have showed very little interest in that. And so, um, it, it's kind of it's it doesn't make me feel like oh i want to get to know them better like by learning their past because they i don't think they want their past to be known terribly you know what i mean um how, how yeah. about your parents and, and what what are your thoughts on that no i get that um it feels the feeling it and my mother is not, no longer with us anymore but um from when i was with her it seems like they came here for a reason to get away from whatever circumstances they were they were in my mother especially um and my father um you know, he found there's better opportunities here. So why focus on um, his past life? I ever, I've even asked him, would he ever want to go back and live where he came from? He said, no, I, I spent so much effort and time and it was so hard to get here. Why would I ever want to get back? So um, I do definitely get that sense as well. Uh, you know, I think there are some parents who are like, uh, who are immigrants, they, they come here, they're like doctors and like professors and highly respected people in, in their old, uh, in their home country. And they come here and then they have to like start from scratch. And it's very kind of um, humbling. humbling, right? Um, yeah. But then you have uh, parents like my parents who were like already blue collar people in their country, you know, when they left their country and they come here and they actually like theoretically have more quote unquote status. Uh, and I, so I think it's just like a very different relationship to the past depending on like what your situation was before probably, right? Yeah, um, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy there. Yeah. My parents were the same. They were, they didn't come from much, so. Hmm. Same, but okay, the, the take home, Alex, is I gotta check out Yee Yee on the Criterion Collection, right? If anything comes from this, I'd be glad. Okay, uh, I, I will try to make it happen. Alex, thanks so much for your support, really appreciate it. Thanks, David. If you're just tuning in, this is David Chen Office Hours, taking any questions or topics from the audience, and giving uh, speaking preference to anyone who supports me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Chen. All right, let's add Han to the stage. Your uh, username says you're from yes. Chicago, um, so I assume you're from Chicago. Yes. Uh, and is there anything else you want to tell people about uh, what you do with most of your time? I am an editor. I spoke with you in your previous space. I, I edit words and not video. Uh, so that's what I do for my day job. Um, my question to you is, have you ever had an, a kind of an embarrassing exchange on Twitter with a celebrity or a film critic or someone you admire? Uh, 
A hundred percent. It happens. First of all, it happens all the time. And secondly, there is one that happened very recently that I, I, um, I've, I vividly recall. Um, cause I felt really terrible about it. Uh, basically Devin Sawa, do you know who Devin Sawa is? Not familiar with that person. Um, did you ever see final destination one long time ago, but I, I don't remember it very well. Well, he, he's the main character in final destination. Okay. One, right. And, uh, talented actor, like a, a key, key part of like my childhood, you know, watching movies. Like I, Watched a bunch of Devin Sawa movies, you know, and um, uh, and I think I, you know, I, 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 I like the guy. He's, he seems like an affable fellow and a good actor. Okay. Also, I think he was recently in Hacks. He did. He was great in Hacks recently ah, as well. Okay. Anyway, um, so I got I get a lot of emails from people. Um, DVD, check out this movie, check out this thing that's opening in theater. You know, I, I'm on a bunch of publicist lists. And I got this email for uh, a movie that Devin Sawa was doing that was going straight to DVD or straight straight to streaming, I think. Okay. And I tweeted out the image. I said, you, you know, hey, um, wow, like, I, I think it was when I saw, like, Devin Sawa's grizzled face on this straight to streaming movie that I realized... I'm fucking old. It was it was something like that. It was meant to be like very self-deprecating, right? Like I tweeted that out about like, oh, like seeing Devin Sawa, who's like roughly my age, um, you know, like appear like as kind of this grizzled old detective um, made me realize how old I'm. That, that was kind of what it what the the thrust of the tweet was. Yeah. Um, Devin Sawa saw that tweet uh, because I guess he has a he's like got a Google alert or a Twitter search for his name. And he basically uh, put me on blast, uh, rightfully so, afterward. He basically responded and was like, um, uh, you know, David, mo A, like most movies go straight to streaming these days. There's no shame in it. And B, I'm fine with how I look. And he, 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 kind, of, he kind of took it as though I was criticizing him on two levels. Like oh, I was criticizing okay. the fact that it was like straight streaming and also that I was criticizing his looks. Um, when in fact, A, you know, I'm not even making movies right now. So the fact that you're making movies is, is a huge accomplishment. And B, um, it was meant to be self-deprecating. Devin Sawa is obviously a much better looking man than me. And so uh, I felt really terrible that he took it that way. And I actually like responded on Twitter and I apologized. And then I like DM'd him and like I apologized via DM too. Mm. Um, but I think the lesson of that is... You know, even stuff that is kind of meant to be self You know, there were, I could see why he could take it in a bad way. Like, it's I was not as careful as I could have been in my phrasing. Um, but uh, basically, anyone anyone could be listening, and there's always someone else on the other end of the uh, on the Twitter, you know, screen looking at whatever you're saying about them. Possibly, even if that person might be Devin Sawa. So that's kind of uh, an embarrassing interaction I had with another person on Twitter. Uh, at some point in the recent past. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, do you mind if I just share one story? I, it's almost like a Please. confession. I, like I've Please. Been, yeah, you, you want to unburden I, I, yourself. You yeah, I've, I've been yourself. holding on to this for years, yes. and, I, I, and I've never known like where to unload this. Okay, <laughs> I, all right. Well, here like, is. So years ago, um, I, I had been able to, 
start exchanges with Brian Koppelman. You know, he's pretty friendly and interacts with a lot of people. On, right, Bri on, Brian Koppelman, the the, yeah. uh, the writer of Michael Clayton, who hosts, I think, this podcast called The Moment. He's also mm -hmm. one of the creators of Billions on Showtime. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and this is also going to tie into some of the immigrant stuff that you've been uh, talking about with other people uh, on this in this space. But so I, I was, you know, exchange things with Koppelman, and the, and I remember there was an episode of Billions where. Uh, the Daniel K. Isaacs character, Ben Kim, is confronted by a character named Dollar Bill, this white guy. And 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 the character says, Ben Kim says something like, Oh, you know, my people wouldn't 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 do that, or something like that. And, and he was talking about the number four being unlucky. Um mm -hmm. and I assume Ben Kim, you know, that, that sounds like a Korean name. So I assume he's a Korean character. And I just started questioning compliment as a is is unlucky for something that is prominent in current culture. Now, I should have known this, but I did it. I thought it was just like a Chinese thing, uh, only in Chinese culture, because I see that a lot in like gambling culture and whatnot. But, I, but it, you know, it is, in fact, something that's also common in Korean culture. So, you know, I make an ass of myself in compliments that you're questioning him. Like, are you like conflating things in Chinese culture? Oh, like culture? you thought you, you thought he had he had kind of lumped Koreans in with. Chinese yes. Yeah. You are Chinese. And you're like, how dare he? suggest that Koreans and Chinese. Well, no, are. I am actually Korean. So oh, okay, then I, gotcha. yeah, but, but then I, uh, you know, I just so. did the thing that you didn't want. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's totally fine. But like, so I, I, you know, I, I too grew up in a Christian home, like, like you, Dave's. And so like, I just didn't have like those kind of superstitions in my home. I see. Yeah. Cause you're, so then, you're, if your family believes in God, they generally don't believe in the superstitions, right? Not really. Yeah. Not, not. So I grew up with that. And I, and I just, oh, you know, that's something from only in Chinese culture, but in fact it is in Korean culture too, because of course, Korean and Chinese culture do have many similarities. And so I was questioning, you know, are you depicting Ben Kim correctly? If he's indeed a Korean character, are you conflating him with us being Chinese or something? And then, you know, Pakapaman got very defensive and said, like, well, you know, of course we wouldn't do that. And and then he started talking to me as if I was an idiot, idiot. And I and I was being an idiot. But you know what? What was really crazy about that interaction was then, out of nowhere, Daniel. K. Isaacs comes in within the Twitter conversation and like, oh, you're doing this. You're doing this on Main. You're not even doing this on DMs. No, no, on the Main. It's public. You can even like search this <laughs> and you oh might God, find it. I, I've never, I've, I've never even like uh, deleted this because I've, I've kept it up there as my source. You know, just like, hey, this is a warning. Don't be stupid. And so, but K. <laughs> Isaac, Isaacs comes in, kind of defends Koppelman as an ally. To Asian Americans and 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 that and does say indeed when he was growing up because he's he's of Korean descent uh, despite his uh, surname I've never understood why it's thick but whatever um, he said you know indeed four is an unlucky number and I grew up Korean and that's what my parents believe and so and then, so I did some research and like I realized it was wrong now in retrospect like I think I just didn't like the scene there's something about it that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way like I don't think I would ever say. Oh, my people would be X, Y, Z, like, or you know, we wouldn't do that. I would just say Koreans don't do that, you know. So this is kind of like the weird phrasing of of that exchange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but the fact is, I got the 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 facts wrong, and you know, and then I was questioning him, and and you know, I'm like, you know, does this uh does this guy really know what he's doing with this character? And yeah. and I, I, and that character I find a little bit problematic in in other ways, but you know, well, still at least that's some representation. Yeah, I, so I have I have some thoughts on what you described. If I can share, if I may share them, yeah, of course, okay? yes, please, okay. please. I, please. Here, I'd like to react to the situation you just described. So, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, so, if you're just tuning in, um, Han has described the situation where he thought that Brian Koppelman <laughs> was 
being somewhat racist in his depiction of a Korean character on screen. Um, and in fact, he was, Brian Culpepper was not being um, somewhat racist. And uh, so Han uh, kind of uh, embarrassed himself. And here's, here's what I would say. Uh, as somebody who has tangled with people on Twitter and also like, and also has been like fairly outspoken about, you know, what, what I see as unfair treatment of um, Asian people, uh, you know, in, in pop culture. Uh, here's, here's my reaction to that. Number one, as a person of color, you actually wield some level of authority um, when it comes to speaking out on an issue like this. Like you, you have some standing um, that not all people have. And I think it's extremely important to take that standing seriously. Um, and so when you're slinging around these accusations, you need to be rock solid and 100% sure that you know what the fuck you're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, I think you already Abs have, absolutely. have gleaned that message. But, <laughs> but here's, here's the reason why that is. Because even if you are 100% sure of what you're saying, you will still get people coming out of the woodwork and saying you're full of shit. And like, how dare you bring this up? And like, the show is great. And like, not all, you know, they'll, 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 they will attack you even if you are right. So if you are wrong, you yes. will be completely destroyed, you know? And, oh, yeah. uh, and so just as a tactical thing, uh, and also just like in terms of creating a better discourse, like you, you yes. just need to, if you're, if you're ever going to play around with these kinds of accusations or, or accuse someone or like intimate that they treated a certain group unfairly, you need to be rock solid, I think. Um, well, I, I, I want to say it was a, it, like, it wasn't really coming at him hard. It was just kind of like questioning. And then, mm -hmm. but then he started to take it hard. And then uh -huh. I, I understood why he did. Totally understandable. And, you know, like, given the sensitivities around race, you know, I can right. see why he yeah, got yeah, defensive. Yeah. But, totally. and then, so, and then, but then when Daniel K. Isaac came in and kind of defended it, and, and like, kind of like, Really, a softened the situation. It really helped, the, you know, diffuse the situation. Now, I haven't really, you know, actually, Koppelman and I have exchanged a few tweets after that, but I, you know, since haven't really exchanged as many tweets as I as I used to. Um, and it wasn't even like that big a deal. Just like you're, just, it's just nice to get those kind of exchanges from time to time with somebody who's in the industry. And you know, I might have soured that, but. You know, so be it. Like I. Well, here, here's here's know. lesson number two. Here's lesson yeah. number two, Han. Okay, yep. is I see this happen all the time. Okay, where people reply to stuff, uh, like on Twitter, criticize. Like someone writes a piece, they publish mm -hmm. it, they tweet about it, and then somebody replies to them, being like, "Well, did you think of this?" Or, um, "Hey, you forgot to point out this," or "Why didn't you mention this?" or whatever. Right, and. Those people are looking like I don't care if you know it or not. If you reply to someone on main, which is to say your main public Twitter account, you are mm -hmm. looking to start a fight. You might mm -hmm. not think you are. You mm -hmm. might not. You might feel you're a good person, but you are trying to start a fight because if you really gave a shit about that person, you would not be putting it on main. You would be DMing them. You'd be emailing them. You'd be using some platform. That is not subject to public scrutiny. But if you're using a public account and tweeting at someone, you are trying to blow them up. And so uh, if you look through all of my tweets, unless I'm unless you know for a fact I'm trying to criticize someone, I yes. never reply to anyone being like, hey, you should have put this in your piece or you made a typo here or whatever. I will 99% of the time always DM them because 
I don't want them to get like, you know where that could lead. Yeah, you know it could lead to a big argument, and you're you're participating, assuming that's that might happen. Um, so I don't like I, I take all tweets like that basically in bad faith. Like I I assume if you're trying to critique someone like that that you don't know personally, um, that you are trying to start a fight, and I generally ignore those things. No, no, um, I, I, I so. think you're right. And I, I and this happened about four years ago. I can't even exactly remember when, but definitely pre-pandemic. And it, it has haunted me. And it, it, and it did teach me something about how to interact with people, uh, any, whether they're famous or not, on, on Twitter, uh, uh, on Maine, as you call it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 just, I just think basically my, my, my take-home message is if you actually care about that person and, how the, and their work and how they construct their image online, you will mm-hmm. DM them or use a venue that's not public. To voice yep. your criticism, but most most people aren't trying to do that. Most people are trying to blow up the people they're criticizing, and you know that's that's its own set of things. But like, it doesn't sound like that's what you're trying to do. No, no, no. I was yeah. definitely not because I was a fan of the show up to up to that point, and Exa- I was yeah, still, exactly. I, I'm still yeah. pretty much a fan of that show. But uh, you know, it, it it was just like kind of like you're so excited to see someone like yourself on the screen, and mm-hmm. then it's like not quite the way you thought it should be. But then I was kind of wrong and. I mean, again, I still don't love that scene, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The other confession I want to make real quick, that it does involve one of your co-hosts. It, it's uh, <laughs> okay. Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn. Uh-huh. I, yeah. I, I looked at one of his, his uh, you know, Rocky rankings of all the Rocky films, and I, and I, and I looked at it too quick, or I, I just even read the headline. I didn't even read it carefully, and I, and I said something to him. I can't even remember what, and then, you know. I just didn't read it carefully enough, and I, I made a mistake. And I didn't mean to like offend him or anything, but after that, he hasn't tweeted me back either. So, um, so if you ever if Scott Mendelson, he probably won't even remember, but I I, I apologize for that too because <laughs> I well, should have read the article more carefully before I responded to him. So, well, valuable lessons were learned, Han. Thank you for yes. letting me rant and give you a hard time here on. No, 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 no. I deserve it, <laughs> and I thank you for letting me kind of unload this because I just needed to somehow put it out into the world again and just say I'm sorry to Brian Koppelman. I am sorry <laughs> to to your uh, co-host Scott Mendelson. Yeah. Uh, Brian's I, a, Brian's yeah. a mutual, so maybe he'll listen to this. We'll see. Uh, um, yeah, maybe he probably won't yeah. remember. It's been many years ago, <laughs> but uh, I'm right. very sorry. <laughs> All right, Han, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's add, uh, if you're just tuning in, hello, it's David Chen. I'm doing office hours, um, and you can ask me anything or we can talk about anything. Uh, and if you are a patron of mine at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, um, you will get speaking priority. Uh, Alec, welcome to the stage. Can you hear me, Alec? Hey, yeah, I can hear you. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great, Alec. Happy to be talking to you. Where are you from and what do you do for those in the, in the room? Yeah, I'm uh, calling in from Brooklyn and I work in fitness tech industry. And Oh, interesting. Can, can I ask you about that? Sure, go ahead. What, what, what is fitness tech exactly? <laughs> like do you design machines or what, what is uh, that? So I, uh, I was with Peloton for three and a half years and I was directing, oh, I was wow. directing their classes. So... Oh, that's amazing! You know, dude. like the uh, awesome. the lights, cameras, audio, all that stuff yeah. that you see on the tablet. It's, it's a it's a cultural <laughs> phenomenon. The Peloton classes. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, well, I'm not with them anymore. That was part of their huge layoff a few months ago. <laughs> so. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you did you land in a good place or where are you? Yeah. Did, so you know, um, is, are things yeah, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I took a few months just to kind of um, you know live my best life and catch up with family and friends and you know do my honeymoon with my wife that we didn't get to do because of the pandemic, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and now I'm like in the midst of a of a job hunt, and it's been pretty good so far. 
So hopefully I'll be uh, jumping back into the workforce very soon. But um, my question for you awesome. is, um, can you share any details on what your your next, I guess, big project is? And I'm kind of wondering, are you considering doing another feature like the primary instinct or anything long form? Yeah, um, uh, here's my thoughts on it, uh, on, on what's next. I, I, I will say that a bunch of things happened at one time. Um, I left my job, uh, my full-time job. That's one thing that happened. Uh, another thing that happened is, um, Joanna Robinson allowed me to take over decoding Westworld podcasts and also a cast of Kings podcast feeds because she's podcasting over at the ringer. And number three, um, Westworld premiered its fourth season and house of the dragon is about to premiere in like less than three weeks. Uh, and so those things all happened basically this summer. And I've spent a huge amount of time uh, finding new co-hosts for those shows, like working with those co-hosts, like spinning, spinning up those shows. And my goal is to kind of make those into weekly, like ongoing shows that can sustain themselves financially for the long term right now. Um, and uh, I feel like it's possible to do that, but it's just, it has taken like a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of work over the course of the last couple months. Um, and the reason why, like, I wish it wasn't all happening at once, uh, Alec. I wish Westworld and Game of Thrones were like next in January, you know, then I'd have like a lot of time to kind of think and plan. Um, but I think basically I'm focused on getting these shows into a place where they're running weekly and also financially, um, stable and financially self-sufficient right now. Uh, and once I'm at that stage, then I'm going to focus on what comes next, which will hopefully be, you know, even more creative than, than getting uh, this media empire into a good place. Like the, the film cast has been a, um, in my estimation, like very successful, very meaningful part of my life, uh, both professionally as well as financially. And I feel like there is the possibility that these other two shows each could do the same thing. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been spending most of my time on. So, yeah, that's exciting, man. And, um, you know, I think the video stuff you're doing with, with the film cast now is looking pretty good. And, um, I really hope you guys, uh, do your avatar land video tour. I think that could be pretty dope. Yeah. We're thinking of going to Pandora land and, and filming that because I, I want to see Jeff Kanata lose his mind, <laughs> uh, seeing Pandora in person for the first time. So um anyway uh so yeah not not as exciting as an answer as uh you might have been looking for but it's kind of dominating all of my thoughts right now and um uh and i'm really loving like my new co-host like i have never worked with these people before uh for an extended period of time and i'm really loving working with sedanted laka and with kim renfro um and it's exciting to like uh help introduce a new group of people to someone who i think is talented you know, um, for like, sure. And, and Sid, Sid is definitely one of them. Sid is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Siddhartha is great. You know, we had these we have these audiences for these podcasts, the Westworld podcast, the Game of Thrones podcast, like, and to be able to like introduce those audiences to people who I think are really cool and really smart, um, I find that very meaningful. You know, um, and it's like, oh, now now th these tens of thousands of people may follow this person to whatever they're doing next, and that's very exciting. Um, so I'm, I'm finding that enormously gratifying. 
Um, anyway, Alex, any, any other questions? No, that's it for me. Thanks, man. Alec, thanks so much for your support, man. Really appreciate it. Um, it's made a big difference. And sorry you went through the Peloton madness, but glad you're landing in a good place. All right. We're entering the end game of the office hours. Uh, here we go. Chris, you've been waiting for a while. Chris, speak. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can. Chris, let people know where you're from and, and what you spend most of your time doing. Um, my name is Christian. I am from Los Angeles, California, and I work for a community college in the greater Los Angeles area. I basically create the schedule of classes for my school. Cool. Um, before I ask my... What's on your mind? Before I ask my questions, yeah, I just want to shout out to Mike Gaines, who's in the room, and thank you for all Woo! your hard work on the Tolly Rad Show. It made my 20s much more enjoyable than it was. So thanks, Mike, for the Tolly Rad Show. Mike Gaines, um, very talented visual artist who works on legit TV shows, but perhaps his greatest contribution to culture is the Trump Draws Twitter account. Um, which was a pretty awesome Twitter account with some great gifts that I'd recommend you check out. So. <laughs> totally forgot about that. Yeah, anyway. that Twitter account was legendary. Um, and my question for you is pretty basic. Um, have you read any good books lately? And what is your favorite book that you tend to go back to when you need to, you know, read something good? Interesting. I would say, uh, honestly, the best book I read recently is a, a book I covered on Culturally Relevant uh, called Sandy Hook. Uh, an American Tragedy and the Battle for Truth. Uh, not a book that most people will want to read because it is deeply, deeply upsetting. Um, but it's basically not just about what happened at Sandy Hook, but about the misinformation war that occurred afterwards. Uh, it's exceptionally well-written. Elizabeth Williamson is enormously talented. And it's also like, it also captures something that I feel is distinctly American, you know? Um, it, it's, the book is called Sandy Hook, an American tragedy only in America. Could you have a tragedy in which, uh, dozens of children and adults are mowed down by an AR 15, uh, at a school. And then you have literally thousands of people who are convinced to believe that that event did not occur and go on to harass, um, those people whose children were murdered in that event. Like, only in a country as fucked up as America could something like that happen. And so I, I feel like, yes, it's a, it's a document of something that uh, is tragic that happened in our society and it's worth checking out for that reason. Um, but, uh, but the fact that it captures kind of something that I feel like is distinctly American makes it really, really valuable. Um, so anyway, there is a heavy topic for you, but I'll tell you the book I read before that one which is not as heavy. Uh, it was uh, Kyle Buchanan's book, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, uh, which is about the making of Mad Max Fury Road. It's like an oral history of Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, that was great. Obviously, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the greatest films of all time. And uh, Kyle Buchanan did a good job putting a bunch of these interviews together for Blood, Sweat, and Chrome. So uh, much lighter topic, and much more probably relevant to the people who are interested in my general work. But uh, I contain multitudes, Chris. I contain multitudes. Um, so, Chris, any books that you would recommend recently or any reason you bring up this question? 
Um, yeah, um, I tend to listen to a lot of audiobooks when I'm in the office, and I just finished um, checking out In the Garden of Beasts by Eric Larson. It is about the real-life story of the American ambassador to Berlin, just as um, Nazi Germany was taking off. So it just goes into the... It goes into his daily life and how he took his family with him to Berlin and the experience they had seeing the Nazis basically um, take over, control the press and things like that. And he was a historian, historian at a university who was, I guess, buddies with Roosevelt. And Roosevelt said, this guy's going to be my ambassador. And he basically is like a fish out of water. Like, how the hell did I get here? And um, really interesting book. Um, Eric Larson is also the same person that wrote uh, The Devil in the White City. That's mm. finally being made into, I think, a movie or a series. I can't remember which one it was. But um, I feel like that property has been shelved and reshelved for a really long time now. But um, either way, same author. Super interesting book. If you, have, if you want to check something out, I really um, recommend In the Garden of Beasts. In the Garden of Beasts, Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin. And these are nonfiction books, right? Or Those are they... nonfiction. Yeah, Eric That's Larson right. is, a, is a historian that writes yeah. history as a narrative. Mm, love so it. It, love it, it. It helps give people like the broccoli of history in a very, um, in a very comforting way. Awesome. And it's just a really great read. All of his books are, are super great. But In the Garden of Beasts, I think, is my, um, is my favorite of his books so far. Well, thanks for the recommendation, Chris, and appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for letting me share the stage. All right. I think we got time for maybe one or two more, but Danish Syed has requested to speak. Hey, Danish. Uh, I actually just want to jump in with another book recommendation, especially going off of that last one. Uh, I'm reading The Twilight World by Werner Herzog, and it's really great. Mm. It's also a fictionalized historical account. It's uh, about the Japanese soldier Hiro Onoda who was sort of like assigned this small island to defend in the Philippines. And I'm sure you've heard the story. It's kind of a famous story of the, the mm. Japanese soldier who kept fighting decades after World War II ended. And this is a fictionalized account of that. And it's awesome. Um, I, I bought the book and started reading it. And then uh, I realized that Werner Herzog narrates the audiobook. So then I rebought the audiobook and and been listening to it because how can you not listen to Werner Herzog talk? So anyway, that, I just want to throw that out there because uh, you guys were talking about books and this one is awesome. All right. Uh, thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, this sounds really fascinating. This sounds right up my alley, honestly. Um, the, the Twilight World. And I've heard about this soldier. It's interesting to fictionalize. I wonder why they didn't write like a real story. Why didn't they take the Eric Larson approach? You know, I guess... I guess there are um... well, it, it is the it is the Eric Larson approach because what he does is he takes real events and then it's like, well, what would that person have said in that situation? And that's imagined. So the the facts are real. It's the sort of mm, illustration of I it that's, that's fictionalized. Gotcha. It's interesting because it's called um, a novel. It's called the Twilight World, a novel. Yeah. Right. So, so Eric Larson stuff. He does not refer to them as novels, as far as I know. So that's why I think there's some distinction potentially. But. Right. Um, Anyway, Danish Syed is the uh, creator of the Decoding TV logo art, the <laughs> new podcast Decoding TV logo. The infamous art. at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, logo I mean art. yeah, I, I mean, it, and I believe you called it, if I recall correctly, one of your greatest works of all time. Did <laughs> I? Right. 
Did I get that right? That's right. Um, That's right. So, so great job on the logo for uh, a decoding TV. I, I literally um, stopped working on Star Wars and then worked <laughs> on this logo mm -hmm. and then returned to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and one of those was like one of your crowning achievements of your entire career, and the other, and the other was one was the other one was Star Wars. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, nicely done. Nicely done. Well, thanks, thanks for the logo, Danish. Really appreciate it. And um, I consider Danish at this point a a good friend and also a collaborator. So, um, be well, man. Be well. Have a good morning. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, um, okay. I'm going to do one final question. This one comes in from David. Uh, David N who uh, writes in with a DM question. He says, I'm fascinated by the fact that you drive a $300 Toyota Corolla. That being said, what do you spend money on that you consider excessive? Um, all, th this is, a, uh, this is uh, in response to a conversation that my wife and I had on, our personal Patreon, on the personal Patreon page where we reviewed the latest episode of Better Call Saul. And she told a story about me and the car I drive that I used to drive when I met her, which was a Toyota Corolla that had a trade-in value of three hundred dollars, um, and it had no power windows, no power locks, barely power steering. <laughs> and um, David uh, uh, David N is asking, uh, "What do you spend money on that I can that uh, that I consider excessive?" I would say uh, I spend a lot of money on like tech. You know, I'm a, I'm a very early adopter kind of person. Um, I'm very energized by technology because I, I, I'm always wanting to create things or create things in a new way. And so um, I'm always buying the latest camera or the latest kind of thing that I'm like, oh, maybe this will take my creativity to the next level. Um, recently, I've, I've slowed down on it because... Uh, as the old adage goes, you don't need like the most expensive technology to create great things. You you need time and will and creativity to create great things. Like, and I think you know, um, as time has gone on, I, my my mentality has shifted from like, oh, I need to get the latest greatest thing to like, I need to spend more time working with the tools I already have to create great things. Um, and so that's kind of what I spend most of my money on is like tech, like tools, like cameras. I recently got 360 cameras that I'm using a lot. You can see on my Insta page, my Instagram page, like using a lot of 360 um, because I want to create new, different, interesting things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's important in addition to like getting the latest gear, which I don't think is important at all. It's important to figure out like how you can deploy what you have to make what you want. Um, and that's, arguably as important, if not more important. Okay. Some closing thoughts from me, David Chen. Um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's office hours. Uh, it's been a while since I've done one of these. And it's because uh, the last few months have just been really, really intense and busy. And there's been a lot of stuff that's going on. Um, but if you're listening to this uh, or, and or if you contributed it, it likely means you're a patron at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Um, I see a bunch of patrons in the room right now, and I want to give a big heartfelt thank you to everyone um, who's supporting me during this time, uh, especially as I'm trying to make a living doing what I do online uh, and trying to kind of build the next steps of uh, what I hope will be a, a vibrant, you know, online empire where TV and film are discussed critically, analytically, and thoughtfully. 
Um, I really appreciate all of your support. So thank you so much. Uh, if you do support me at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, and I'm going to try to do these a little bit more frequently, at least once a month moving forward, but hope you enjoyed this one. Um, be well and talk to you soon. <laughs>